hey everyone, welcome to episode 120 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features an absolutely incredible landscape photographer from Florida, Paul Marcellini. Paul is an award-winning photographer known for his incredible work in the Everglades and for his many contest wins throughout the years. Paul and I covered a lot of really fun ground this week, including his journey as a landscape photographer and the role of Nature Photographers Network to help him improve, his environmental science degree and how that intersects with his views on landscape photography, using photography to tell a story about a place and its ecosystems, photographing icons, my favorite, printing and art shows, having his photo on a USPS stamp, and much more. Over on Patreon, Paul and I had a fantastic time discussing his methods for naming photos and a ton more. We also talked about using Anton Evering's photo naming app, which you can find a link to in the liner notes. All right, well, let's get to the show. Paul Marcellini, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, man. Been hearing about it for a long time, so I'm glad to finally be here. Awesome. And uh, I understand that you just cracked open a nice barrel-aged Belgian quad. Is that right? Yeah, Boulevard. Bourbon barrel quad. Ah, Boulevard. Yeah, man. Yeah, Boulevard. They make really good beer. Yeah, (laughs) 11.2%. You ever had the, uh, the the Tank 7 farmhouse? No. Yeah, it's from Boulevard. It's pretty solid. Huh. I, I don't think yeah. I've even seen that one. I uh, We don't get a ton all the way down here, but yeah, I like the heavies. This one, uh, Plaid Habit, it's another good one. I think that's Canadian. Oh, I haven't seen that Canadian one. whiskey aged something or other. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm drinking the Reverend, which is a 10% Belgian quad from Avery. Mm. I like Avery too. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, so where are you joining us from? I am down here in Miami, and actually, we got a good storm brewing, so hopefully, we keep power. <laughs> right. Yeah, we actually had a like a lot of uh, thunder and lightning earlier this afternoon ourselves. So, so Paul, maybe just uh, for the benefit of our listeners, um, I guess tell us a little about yourselves, uh, about yourself, where you're from. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of the worst at uh, qualifying myself, I've realized over the years. <laughs> I kind of forget the, the things I've done. But yeah, I actually graduated college with an environmental science degree. I'm, I'm from Miami, uh, born and raised, but like the outskirts, like I'm, you know, grew up a mile from my grandma who has 10 acres of avocados. I'd pick those in the summer. and That's cool. Um, yeah, so you know we're we're in it's called Redland. Um, I think a lot of us say Redlands, but that's actually California. Um, but yeah, it's the farming district down here. Okay, so just a lot quieter. I'm not like a city boy, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I went to school, got an environmental science degree. Um, had you know fell in love supposedly, whatever. Broke up right as I graduated. Um, that was in Nashville. 
And so I just moved back to Miami without a real plan. Um, and just started going to the Everglades to photograph. Uh, I picked up a camera in 05 uh, wow. in college. I, gra- I graduated in 07 and uh, just had some buddies, you know, that one was a photography. His mom was a photography teacher at a community college. So she taught me like how curves and levels works. That's um, cool. And we I feel would like just, I just learned how to, I just learned that stuff like a year ago. I'm just kidding. Yeah. But it seems recent. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's crazy. I, I, I just started using curves and levels more again. Like it, you know, it was like, they're so basic and then they're so powerful when you actually know how to use them. Totally. But yeah, we just started shooting like adventure stuff. Like, we'd repel or, or put a slack line across a river. And we were honestly just trying to get a cool portfolio shot for like, not portfolio shot, but like a Facebook profile shot. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, like totally just trying to impress girls. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, like I, I've always been a nature nerd. And so when I moved back home, I just, I dove into, you know, photographing the Everglades, just kind of healing. And uh, it was great because, like, actually, you know, um, my biggest education came from Nature Photographers Network. Um, mm, yeah. Like, it, it, back in the day, that was 06, 07 through, like, 09. Uh, you could go out, shoot, post a shot, like, that night or the next day and get critiques like at the time the moderators were mark adamus guy tall um gosh i don't i mean there were just so many guys that i looked up to and you'd get critiques from them so right uh one of my biggest motivators was uh you know i was just starting to figure out how the wide angle worked with a landscape like foreground background and I posted this lake shot, the sunset, and uh, just some limestone rocks that, you know, in Mark Adamus comments, uh, good composition, but your foreground's a little mundane. <laughs> Dude, that like drove me for so many years after that, because I was like, you know, the Everglades is kind of tough. I, I really got to find the best foreground I can. <laughs> and and, and not, not, not all of us just copy and paste the foreground into the shot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you had effects in there. <laughs> they don't come out very often, but uh, yeah, that, that was deserving. Nice. Yeah, so I mean, it's funny just how little things like that drive you. And um totally, totally. I remember um when I first got started in uh I I think my first DSLR I had a, a Nikon D7000 and um I think like 3 or 4 months after I got it, I carried the damn thing to the top of a really tough 14,000 foot mountain here in Colorado called Wetterhorn Peak and um photographed uh sunrise from the top and it was one of the most spectacular things i had ever witnessed before but i was like super into hdr and stuff like that and i remember posting the the end result on a forum and people were just 
you know, destroying me. And that was, that was a huge <laughs> motivator for me. Like, Oh yeah, maybe I should watch how I edit my photos, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, uh, so it's funny. It's funny how that can motivate you to become a better photographer. Well, and that, I mean, on NPN, what was great was, you know, they, I don't know if they recommended or required like every photo you posted to at least critique five to 10. Oh, wow. And, okay. And that was, yeah. So that was huge for me because like, you know, the hardest thing is to separate how much effort you put into the photo with how good it actually is. And, but when you don't have that with someone else's photo, I, I learned a ton because it's like you, you're looking for what's good and what's flawed in someone else's photo. You don't have the mosquito bites or the sweat equity. You're not personally connected to the experience. Yeah. yeah. So you can just look at it for what it is. And I think that really helped me to look at my own photos for what they are. Yeah. And what's really cool is um, David Kingham and Jennifer Renwick have kind of resurrected NPN. And um, it's it's becoming a more and more vibrant community for nature and landscape photographers again. And there's a really excellent critique forum that's kind of reemerged and um, I've actually learned a lot on there already in the last year. So I'd encourage people to, uh, to check it out again. Yeah. I'm, I, I get some of the emails. I'm, I'm excited. I need to just get over there because I think that really, or I just became out of touch. I don't know where that kind of community exists anymore. Cause I mean, so much of, of what became popular with photography, like 500 PX and, Instagram or even Facebook groups, there's no real critique. It's just look at what I did. It's all vanity, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, that's why, I mean, that's why they, that's why they, uh, bought the site and have tried to build it back up again, because I think that's something that's been sorely lacking in the photography landscape, nature of photography community for sure. And uh, yeah, and what's in, what's super interesting, I was actually talking to a photographer about this over the weekend. It's funny, if you read like uh, uh, Outdoor Photographer Magazine, like the articles in there, like they're, you know, they're okay, but they're not like, I don't know, I don't personally find them ever to be like that inspiring or engaging or I don't usually learn a whole bunch. But um, since they've relaunched NPN, a lot of the articles that have been on there have been fantastic. Like I think Guy Tao's written two articles, Sarah Murillo's written some articles, um, Eric Bennett wrote a great article. So, like the articles over there, are, like also really worth checking out because they're super in depth and inspiring. So, it's it's I think it's definitely worth checking out, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. Like I, I go through phases, and I feel like I, you know, now it's just like you're, you're worried about running a business at times. And, <laughs> and I know there's, there's aspects of my photography that I would love to like, especially processing. Like I, I got to a point right. and, and it's just like, I, I know there's, I could do things better for my files or just aesthetically, but you know, like, Oh, well, I didn't even finish story, but um, yeah, I've been full time now since basically yeah beginning of 2011 yeah so it's changed a lot since then right yeah like um you know i i jumped into it from uh an art or prints aspect you know full-time with uh art shows and all that 
So, you know, I was kind of doing my own thing a little different from a lot of my peers. Uh, that was at a time, I think, when, well, like the market crashed. And I think a lot of the guys that were able to just coast um, had a big wake up call. And, <laughs> and so it was like everybody was scrambling. And then like workshops exploded. And right. And I remember, you know, so many people, like everyone was doing a workshop and, and I did a couple, I, I did, um, I did one through mountain trail photography workshops. That was, that was Jerry Greer and Richard Burnaby, uh, way back in the day. And, and I did a, a private workshop or, uh, yeah, one of my own group workshops and then I do the private tours, but I realized like, that's not me. And, um, you know, yeah, it's not for everyone, right? <laughs> no, I mean, with the right person on a private workshop, I enjoyed it for sure, but I'm always nervous. I get the wrong person or just, you know, conditions <laughs> don't pan out. And, and, and even the art shows, you know, I did those for like eight or nine years. And, and again, that's, that's dealing with the public and that's also not me. It's totally, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's funny how, um, the way that most nature photographers make their living now is through, um, engaging with the public. And it's so counter counter to, to, to why most people that are nature photographers are nature photographers. Like a lot of people are introverted and, and don't like being in crowds or groups of people or talking a lot to people. So it's really interesting to see how like people that are not necessarily, that's not their innate ability. Like they're kind of half forced to kind of pivot and like grow into those skills. <laughs> yeah. And that's like one of those things where like as a business person, you're like, you know, just suck it up. And then there's the other part <laughs> of you that's like, well, I'm, I'm doing what I want. I'm following my dream. Like, why should I want to, why should I force myself to do something that makes me uncomfortable? So, you know, I'm, I'm still on that right now. I, I did art shows for nine years. I haven't done them for two years now. And, okay. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, so how are you, you know, it's kind of crazy. How are you making it work now? Um, uh, this year I'm a little bit coasting off of all that momentum. I think I built, I'm starting to feel like I, yeah, I need to kick it back into gear. Um, but I mean, nine years of own, like, you know, I, I'm not the best at coming up with a game plan and, you know, having a, a thought out situation, you know, situation. But one of the things I realize is I'm not the best photographer. I'm never going to be, um, but you know, the, the smaller audience you have, the better you look, you know, big fish, small pond type of thing. Sure. So just, just focusing on Florida where it started as just focusing on the Everglades. Cause I was a broke straight out of college kid in 2007 when the economy tanked. <laughs> um, That's a great time to start a business. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I worked, uh, I worked for the county as a naturalist when I got out of college. I, I worked for two and a half years there. And uh, that kind of allowed me to build a portfolio because, you know, part-time yeah. hours and 
I did that and um that's cool. Yeah, no, I mean it's I think it's it's hard to to make a living as a full-time photographer, but um I think uh one of the things you you talked you touched on there that I think it has a lot of wisdom that I think a lot of people I don't know, I feel like people should focus on is like you said that focusing on local and becoming a big fish in a small pond. I think there's a oh, lot yeah. of opportunity in that for people out there. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's where I was going with that was, you know, I built a local portfolio and then I expanded through Florida and, you know, it's really helped in my, like I've seen it because I get these jobs, you know, that I might do 25 big metal prints for an office. And, and one of the reasons is, I guess they like my images, but the other is just because they want Florida and I have more Florida images that they like than anyone else. Right. So like, yeah, you know, I think that like, hyper focus on, on a, on a one location or place can really help, um, help you s- stand out you know it's one way you can stand out from the crowd yeah and i mean like i'm thinking one job in particular like they were thinking me for color and then this other uh, clyde butcher for black and white for for one floor and then the other floor of this big building and then they started looking and i'm like oh well you have black and white too so yeah yeah i, I do some uh I really enjoy it and they start looking they're like oh you have a good amount of black and white well that could just make it really easy if we just get everything from you. And it's like, <laughs> boom, that just got me like an extra 15 grand. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's definitely, you know, between doing those art shows only in Florida and only showing Florida, like I really hammered it in for a couple years there and, and, you know, having good SEO, like I'm, top when you search Florida landscape photographer. So all of that, like, yeah, I've kind of coasted off residuals um, a little bit. Well, I mean, (laughs) I think you should give yourself a little bit of credit. I mean, you have some fantastic images from the swamps and Everglades. Like I feel like there's not a lot of people out there that have good photographs from the swamps, you know, like, (laughs) and I think it's a pretty tough subject to shoot. Um, And, you know, I can only think of a handful of other people that have even tried, like David Thompson's got some really cool Bayou shots and yeah, he's, he's killed it out in Louisiana and Texas. Yeah. Yeah. But you've got, I mean, I don't know. I feel like when I think of Florida swamps, like, your name always comes to my mind. So I think you've definitely figured it out. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, Sunstar and add magenta. That's what my buddy used to always joke about. <laughs> that doesn't, that never worked for me, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I, I used to have some pretty shitty photos that were Sunstar and magenta. So. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So, um, so you have an environmental science degree and, um, I was kind of curious how 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 did that degree in environmental science inform not only your your kind of desire and motivation to photograph the types of scenes you shoot, but also um, how does it inform your process for what you look for when you're taking photos? Well, 
I don't know if this is the most exciting answer in that respect, but uh, <laughs> the environmental science degree is more just a happenstance of, you know, kind of who I am. Um, you know, I basically just went to college to satisfy my parents and that seemed like the coolest thing that fit me. Um, right. I, you know, I've been a nature nerd my whole life. I've been playing out in the woods and finding whatever wildlife I could in my outside of Miami. And so, yeah, that, that just kind of fit into who I was. I, I wouldn't say that degree has really shaped much of uh, what I pursued. I just continued to pursue um, art actually is, is the bigger driver for me. I, that's what's been in my life more than anything, I guess, is, um, you know, I, I did art in high school. It was my escape uh okay I paint, what kind of art did you do painting uh watercolors and and um, pencil mainly and uh, awesome yeah just slow meticulous like trying to be hyper realistic my art teacher hated me um <laughs> she she like never expected me to get the deadline um but but yeah that that's just arts i guess always been kind of my uh it's a need, you know, a need to create. And then it's kind of what helps me escape in the same way, just getting out of nature. So those two just kind of went hand in hand. Um, yeah, definitely. And that's what I, t- I'm curious. Oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, I would tell people, I'm like, I don't love photography for it. You know, I, I'm not going to just go out and use a camera because I like using a camera. It's just, it's the tool that I settled on to create with. Um, right. You know, it's, it's like scratching an itch, like yet getting, getting a new shot. Um, yep. And, you know. It, it, I feel like, I feel like a lot of us feel like that's kind of the mechanism. That's, that's what, why we do it is it, it's scratching an itch, you know, it's like, and it's funny because I feel like some people, they have that itch, like two to three hours a day or two, three days a week. And some people need to scratch it like once a month or once every two months. And it's just interesting how that works too. Oh, and I go through it. um, I mean, I probably almost every other year, every year and a half or whatever, I, I just totally lose all motivation for photography. And, uh, you know, when I first started my, when it was a business, like, 2011 12 i don't know 15 uh, and a lot of times it has to do with personal stuff and sure sure and i'm just like man i but i need to get like the business side of me is like no you need to make new images or you need to you know and and then there's a you know the part of me that was worried like what if i don't want to take pictures ever again (laughs) (laughs) dude that's so funny you should say that because i feel like twice a year I go through that thought process like why am I like why am I doing this why why do I keep taking pictures and then and then you know like I don't know, just this last weekend I did a backpacking trip and shot sunrise sunset from the top of a mountain and it was like I rem- it was like a huge reminder like yes this is why I do this like this is amazing and yeah so it's it's, it's funny it's... how like you have to have those experiences to kind of like remind yourself why you like this <laughs> And I'm trying to find a better balance. Um, you know, like I, I 
kind of was in that slump this past couple months and I just finished a trip and I didn't shoot as much as I have in past road trips, but I, you know, it's kind of like, just try to enjoy the experience or just, you know, no pressure. Cause you know, when I was building my portfolio and going out to the Everglades three nights a week and just chasing storms and trying to get the best skies, like, I don't know how many awesome skies I photographed, but didn't really see, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm in uh, kind of, I don't know why I like to complicate things. I guess mainly because I'm trying for the biggest resolution with what I've got. <laughs> right. So, like, I shoot panos with tilt shifts and I was shooting cannon. So, of course, I also had to, like, exposure bracket. And so... You know, one sunset might be nine shots that I've got to put together. Right. And so it's, it was, I did enjoy that rush a little bit though of like, I don't know if that's a right brain, left brain, simultaneous thing. Like, you know, you're basically putting together this scene um, in pieces. No, I think that's one of the interesting things about photography is that it's an interesting blend of of technical skill and artistic skill. And, and that kind of leads me to the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about your, your art background, which is um, how, how did your kind of background in, in art inform your photography in terms of like how you see the world and how you shoot it? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the main one that pulling from like painting, I guess that, I consciously did, which is no different than like Velvia trying to do the Velvia look was, you know, when you're painting, you don't add black to a color to paint the shadow. You add blue, um, you know, like it's in the shadow. So it's going to be cooler toned, um, typically and, and darker. So that's something I always tended to do in my work when I was processing it is, is really try to separate the color temperature of shadows and highlights a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and then another one of those things are like where somebody said something and I really took it a long way was, uh, you know, I had a art scholarship in college and, um, you know, that was given by the head of the art department and I had passed AP art. So that was supposed to let me skip painting one in college, which was first semester so second semester, I go to take painting two, and the art teacher, who's separate from the head of the art department, says, oh, no, I need to see your portfolio. <laughs> so have that shipped up from Miami, uh, you know, bring it to him. And he says, oh, well, uh, no, you, you can't skip painting one. Your compositions are weak. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, are you kidding me? Like. So now you're setting me back. Like I got to wait till next semester, you know, of my sophomore year to take painting one. So I was just like, you know, it, I don't think I'm going to get along with you for the rest of my art career in college. So I just, <laughs> I dropped it. But if it's funny. I feel like uh, in the arts community and especially in photography too, is uh, there seems to be these adversarial relationships that kind of emerge in terms of like the old guard and the new guard and like people protecting, like, I don't know, like the status quo 
of how things are quote unquote supposed to be done. And it's just really interesting because you see that in like social media too, where people who are kind of old school photographers are constantly, you know, railing on new photographers and, and the new photographers feel super butthurt (laughs) about it. But then like, but like, it's like, you got to understand like that person has been taking photos for 40 years, like longer than you've been alive and you're doing something that they feel like is a total transgression and it's worth listening, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's what, like, I really feel like I'm this like middle ground um, guy. Cause you know, I, I, I was in those NPN forums and like seeing all these guys that you're talking about had been photographing longer than I'd been alive. I was like 22 at the time. And, um, and now I'm 34 and I see all these guys that, you know, are, are new and they're like kicking butt and, and, you know, it's, it's humbling in both sides of it. Cause it's like, you see these guys like Jack Dakinga, uh, they just, you know, have been making amazing images forever. And, and then you see these young guys like, uh, Michael Shane Bloom, like, what was he? I think he was like full-time pro before he was 20 or something. So yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, one of the things that I was hoping to kind of pry out of you kind of related to your environmental science degree. Um, I know on your profile page, it says that uh, you like talking about, um, you know, ecosystems and through your photography, I'm wondering, do you like to, take photos that then kind of show people the differences of different ecosystems. And um, like, are you hoping to have kind of an environmental message through your imagery? Yeah. So I, I feel like I, um, I mean, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, I photograph what I like and, and that's just, you know, all the different intricacies of things with the environment in Florida. Um, you know, I guess if I had a message, it's Florida's more than palm trees and beaches. Um, (laughs) right. And, and like, I, I definitely am not an active conservationist. I mean, I, I, you know, I call myself a passive conservationist. I don't always seek out opportunities. Um, but I, you know, I try to take advantage of any opportunity I'm given um, you know, like one that I'm really proud of that, you know, just luck of the draw. I got, you know, one of those random emails and it was to, uh, have one of my images used for a postage stamp. Oh yeah. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was awesome. Cause I mean, you know, it's, um, history, I guess, you know, and, but what was great is they picked an image that was pine rocklands in the Everglades. To, you know, it was uh, for the, um, they did 16 national parks for the centennial, I guess, of the national park system. Yeah. And, you know, they had like Art Wolf in that series. And so it was awesome. Yeah, I think uh, a friend of mine, uh, Gary Crabb, was also in there for Yosemite, maybe. If he was in that, I don't know if he was in that 
but I know they used a whole bunch of his images for another series of stamps mm. um, separately. And yeah, so that's like super cool. But yeah, because of that, like, you know, the press got wind of it. And that gave me an opportunity to really talk about the Pine Rocklands, which are, you know, when you think of the Everglades, you, you think of the river grass, you know, it's an aquatic ecosystem. But the Pine Rocklands are 20,000 acres of it, and they're a globally imperiled habitat. So, you know, I, I kind of think of them as like the the forgotten stepchild or, or middle child type of habitat. Like it's um, something that to someone that's not educated, they don't look different from Pinelands across the Southeast US, but because we're Miami and we're kind of on this cusp of tropical and temperate, you get these meldings of plant life, animal life, um, you know, like the understory is predominantly tropical plants, whereas Pinelands in, say, Georgia, they're not going to have any tropical plants, really. Right. So it's just a very unique habitat. And because it was high ground, it was the first thing to be developed in Miami. You know, that was the that was the easiest place to put things. So you didn't have to drain anything. So, yeah, we're, we're down to 2% of that habitat from the original. So it's it's a really endangered habitat, and, and I was really happy to be able to show that and then have a platform of all these newspaper articles and interviews to just kind of, you know, force that message instead of, like, as much about me, I guess. So, yeah, that was that's, like, the biggest one. And then when I did art shows, you know, I, I hung Florida stuff, and people would come in and be like, oh, wow, you, like, you really travel the world, huh? And I'm like, dude, nothing hanging on these walls is within six hours or farther than six hours drive. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, especially like Miami and places, you just, you get people that are are unaware, you know, city, city people. Um, sure. And I mean, it's our wild is a little different than other places. I mean, people, swamps can be a little uh overwhelming and i guess there's alligators that people i was gonna say like everyone's afraid of alligators (laughs) (laughs) i know i am like that terrifies the shit out of me personally (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's something that i had to work up to myself like you know it's um but you know it's just like anything you get comfortable with it and uh it once you once you're more familiar with it you can read like i feel pretty comfortable with an alligator especially compared to a shark you'll never catch me swimming in blue water man <laughs> <laughs> but uh like an alligator for the most part like you know especially if they're on land or half land or something just watch their legs like you know if their legs start tensing up okay you know then you know maybe you should pay a little more attention but if they're just laying there with their eyes open, looking at you, but their legs are all flopped around, like <laughs> you, you got a good head start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I don't think they're that fast, are they? Like um, in, on no. the land, I mean. Yeah, like I, I think that whole like run in a zigzag thing, like, like I think all Floridians are taught that as children. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I don't think you even have to do that. It's like stop, like, stop, think... drop, and roll for for Floridians. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like you learn to walk and then you learn to run in a zigzag. <laughs> uh. That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, I I think you can honestly outrun an alligator in a straight line. Um, I, and if anything, it's it's a short burst is all they've got. Yeah, they're really ambush predators, man. They just want to grab something on the edge and drag it back right. in and be done with it. Right. <laughs> so for the for the USPS stamp, um, did did they? I'm a, I'm hoping and assuming they paid you for that, right? Yeah, and it was not much at all. Um, and yeah, I mean it, it's not it's not for the money, right? But it's still no. Like... <laughs> and that was like I had to sign an NDA. I mean, I knew about this for probably seven months, I think, before it could be announced. Oh, wow. And, um, That's funny. Yeah. And then, the you know, it's announced and then it's like phone call after phone call with newspapers. And um, they're like, so <laughs> is this like life changing? Can you like, I mean, how much money? And I'm like, well, it's not an NDA. Well, I mean, can you buy a car with it? I was like. Uh, I can buy a set of tires for that car, but like, right. those PS, they lose money every year. Like, right. Like, come on. They're talking about getting rid of Saturday delivery. Let's, <laughs> come on. Let's put the numbers. Let's think about this yeah. for a second. <laughs> yeah. But you no, know, it's just one of those things like you don't, tr- you don't do anything to jeopardize that opportunity. So it's like when they present that to you, you say, yes, please. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think it's awesome that you saw it not only as an opportunity to promote yourself, which is always awesome, but you also saw it saw it as an opportunity to kind of showcase a place that's been endangered. Yeah, and I mean, that was just luck of the draw that they picked that image, and I was just really excited that they did that. Um... Cool, man. Well, that, that stamp project sounds pretty awesome, and I'm a little bit jealous, but... Uh... One of the things I was really hoping to talk to you about, because it's something that I think a lot of landscape photographers struggle with, especially kind of like mid-career, is uh, kind of that struggle of photographing icons. And, you know, I feel like icons are good a good way to make money, but um, sometimes, you know, because of the number of people or just because it's been done before, like it's not as inspiring and so I'm curious, like, what is your stance on photographing icons and kind of what's your, what direction are you heading in? Yeah. So, um, you know, early on, I was definitely a big proponent against just creating your own images. Um, you know, I really was after, you mean a proponent for creating your own images? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, early on, I guess I took some pride in trying to create you, you know, just images that hadn't been done before. I'm not saying they were like uh, groundbreaking or anything, but it's just like, well, this is something that no one else has photographed from. I, I'm not in someone else's tripod holes, I guess. And right. And I mean, as an artist, for sure, like I, I gloss over people's portfolios when i see mesa arch is like one of the first things or you know (laughs) um but i totally respect it for like making money yeah like 
at the art shows, you're gonna see like I have icons in my portfolio. They're they're smart business decisions. Like the angel oak in the in South Carolina, you know, you, you go through an art show in in the southeast and you're gonna see five of them hanging among the maybe like say an art show has couple hundred artists and maybe 30 20 of them are photographers you're gonna see five angel oaks probably hanging right right and um i'm sure it's the same out west like they're they're smart business decisions and it's something that i've struggled with myself because like you know the the younger whatever uh, angstier i don't know photographer in me <laughs> angstier yeah. i like it like it's like no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that but like the older like, smarter i don't know lazier photographer <laughs> it's just like dude just go shoot that pier go shoot that bridge like just have it in the portfolio like someone's gonna want to buy it it's easy money you know and it, and it's a struggle for me especially like I want to whittle down my, my website at times uh, to, right. to stuff that's more respectable by my peers, I guess. But yeah, that's the challenge, right? Like, I feel like we're driven by wanting our peers to respect us. But I don't know if that's the yeah, best motivator. I don't, I don't, I don't make a dime off of other photographers. So why should I care what they think? <laughs> right. Like, um, yeah, because you're not you're not teaching a lot of workshops, so like it's not like that's a selling point for someone like no. you. No, and I mean, and that's you know, I've I've kind of steadily that's my my main thought process. This is like you don't need to pr- impress other photographers. Like I have my buddies out there, but that's one of the things. Is like I feel a little detached from the whole like photography landscape photography community in a way because it's like no, I'm out doing my own thing and like focused on selling to people, not selling to photographers. So I don't, you know, I don't have to be like everybody's best friend, you know, promoting my workshops or promoting my tutorials or, you know, the greatest processing video ever. (laughs) So, uh, although you could probably figure out the SEO for that, like, Paul Marcellini, the greatest post-processing video ever. Yeah, and I would, like, go to sleep <laughs> so uneasy every night. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it, it is. I, I, I feel like we're on the same wavelength because it's like, I, I understand, you know, how to do those things. Like, I understand psychology and, like, how to do that but at the same time like it makes me super uneasy to do it oh yeah like i'm i'm like i said i think earlier like i'm the worst promoter of myself like i <laughs> right oh the best like back <laughs> probably uh, i don't know 2011 2012 i got asked to do this uh, critique um at a local photography club like they, you know, every other month or something, they would do just a critique uh, meeting instead of like having a speaker. And they'd have two judges come and they just everybody, they'd, uh, I don't remember, I, I think it was like the actual prints. They, they'd bring in their prints. I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
but like they introduced us or they let us introduce ourselves which was terrible so <laughs> i'm just like my name's paul and i'm the best photographer ever <laughs> except that i did like the opposite of that <laughs> so like i'm this 25 26 year old kid and um yeah i i just I'm like, oh, I'm a photographer, whatever. I focus on the Everglades and that's it. And I didn't say like, well, I guess actually I didn't even finish my story. Like what got me really the confidence to jump into photography was I won uh, this um, outdoor photographer's magical adventures photo contest. And this was back like a free contest they offered. And 20, 2007 I won it and the grand prize was a trip for two to Kenya a printer a camera a camera bag like it was like 15 grand 18 grand prize package for a free contest and and I'm like a kid 22 right out of college with a part-time job that like that year I made less money than that prize package so <laughs> but I went to Kenya did that 10 day safari and like was just like, okay, I, you know, that gave me the confidence, but then it also just gave me, I was like, wow, I just got to photograph for 10 days straight. Like that's all I did. And this is amazing. You know, so I'm, I'm a couple years in after that at this, you know, and I'm like a one or two year full-time photographer at this point. Right. And at this you know, old white guy photo <laughs> club. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and, and so they start putting up the pictures and there's two judges and the other one, like I'm consistently tougher than them by like, I don't, I don't know, a point or two, uh-huh. like out of a you're 10 like, scale. You're like, I'm really not this mean in real life. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> but I, you know, that was coming off of like the nature photographers network stuff. Like it really trains you. And, um, and so I notice I'm like strict compared to this other judge. And I'm like, well, I'm not changing now. Like I gotta stay consistent. So, you know, it it goes for like an hour. It was terrible. And, and at the end they're like, you know, not that enthusiastic of a clap. <laughs> <laughs> and no one really comes up to talk to me. And this one guy finally, like, at the end is like, yeah, so you're like the toughest judge we've ever had. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I kind of noticed. I felt like I was a little, and he's like, no, it's good. Like, I mean, you were consistent and I love the points you made, but like I think a lot of these guys aren't too happy with it right now. <laughs> and, I, and I was like thinking back, I was like, yeah, I didn't even like tell anybody. Like they just think this kid came in and ripped him a new one. And like, what what does he know about photography? Like I told, I said nothing about myself. So <laughs> yeah, I I really don't like to be up on stage, and uh, you know, I've definitely like turned down a few different speaking engagements and stuff over the years. And it's this one. I was just like, I mean, even this is like, uh, I, I don't even <laughs> want to hear my own voice. 
afterwards. <laughs> the, the key is to listen to the podcast in like 1.5 speed so that we both sound like chipmunks. Yes. I do that with And then you're uh, like, oh, that's not me. That's just some chipmunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do that with YouTube tutorials all the time. Uh, yeah, it's nice, right? Yeah, because it's like, dude, I don't need to. You're, you're. This could have been done in three minutes. Uh, it didn't need to be fifteen. Right. Also, probably people listening are thinking. So, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you also is about. Uh, I know you do a lot of printing. Yeah. And I was, you know, like everyone kind of has their own way of printing their work and. Um, I noticed that both you and I use the, the wide range galleries platform and um, you've got, uh, I don't know, I feel like you've got s- several printing options on there. So I'm curious, like, what has been your approach to fulfilling orders and printing work for customers? So, I mean, I go back and forth between being like a control freak and just wanting to be completely hands-off um hands-off is usually when my personal printer is on the fritz and like everything i do wastes 10 15 dollars um but yeah i have i mean actually that that photo contest i won was huge and like just kind of jump-starting my business because it gave me a 17 inch printer and you know, that's maybe it was 1500 bucks or whatever, but that's something that I probably wouldn't have splurged on anytime soon. And so that gave me, you know, a quick learning curve. It was an Epson. And then from there, I just stuck with Epson because it worked well for me. Uh, I went to a 24 inch, had that for six years. And, you know, I, with that, I could do paper prints and canvas, and then yeah, it it it, it um, had a head or whatever go out, which I think would have been like fifteen hundred bucks. Whew. Printer was twenty, yeah, printer's twenty five hundred. So at that point, I was like, well, I'll just get a forty four inch, which is only thirty five hundred, or you know, and and that's been great. I mean, being able to produce. You know, anything, basically a 40-inch canvas on the short side by however long, and then, you know, a 44-inch print on the short side. Like, I can do pretty much everything. I mean, 90, I'd say 90% of that stuff. But then, I mean, honestly, a lot of my money, it's funny, comes from these metal prints. Right. And that's out. That's outsourced. That's... um. Totally. It's not... Well, and it's it's not the same as the uh, die sub metal prints. It's a it's a direct print onto die bond. Oh, um, okay. Yep, I've seen that before. Yeah, it's I love it. It's it's even got like a three D like the blacks stand out more, and um, it's just been. I mean, it's it's not a numbers of prints necessarily, but you know, it's a higher end product and it's been such a huge part of my income. It's kind of funny, but yeah. Do you, do you feel comfortable sharing like which vendors you use for that product? I mean, it's 
fine. Yeah, I don't know who all does it, but I um I use a local Miami shop. That's, oh, interesting. You know, yeah, that because I mean I think this is like a seventy five thousand dollar flatbed printer um, setup. <laughs> wow. Yeah, not something I'll be investing in. Anytime soon. <laughs> um, but it's Prince Chicle shop. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's Miami. They're on Cuban time, so I just warn customers ahead of time, like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just two two weeks production time. Island island but, time. Island time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh no, they they've been great for me. Like I can always trust them to stand behind work if there's any issue. And um you know, I I pretty much can trust them with color work now. Um, you know, if it, if it's a new print that we've never printed before, we always do a hard copy proof and i come approve it but past that you know i can just send in the the order and pick it up in a couple weeks and know it's good to go that's Um, awesome it's gonna match yeah and i i mean i know it's gonna match like my own products yeah that i produce at home that's so nice to have a a local shop that you can like actually go in and see the results and stuff like that I, i live in a tiny mountain town well i wouldn't say tiny i mean it's like sixteen thousand people you know but it, oh man that sounds nice <laughs> yeah but i mean it's like there's no there's no print labs here you know yeah. I mean, it's like uh so i i have to outsource pretty much everything so it's it's cool to hear that you kind of have this bifurcated process where you're kind of printing your own paper and canvas products which i feel like that's like the most economical way if you're doing volume like a lot of people that do art shows i feel like do oh yeah yeah like you kind of have to do your own printing for i mean canvas and yeah like when that. i was doing art shows like you know i think at my peak i did 14 between 14 a season which ran from like november to april may that's a lot yeah so i mean that's like maybe a weekend off per month i remember when you even shoot right well you don't like i did nothing but like it, it was probably 60 80 hour weeks because like you're working in the middle between those art shows, filling the orders from the previous week, re-upping what you sold, and, you know, trying to get, you know, it was always like a game of like, if someone wanted to buy something that's at the art show, and you had one that might be even a better show uh, the next week, it was like, can I get a new wall piece in time next week? Because... You know, it's like that, the opportunity cost, you don't even know what the opportunity cost is of that maybe really popular piece not being on the wall. It's not just the one time you sell it, you might get four orders for it just because it's on the wall. So letting it go at the show the week before could really hurt you. And so sometimes it'd be like, you know, try to wheel and deal like, oh, well, how about I ship it to you for free or give you 50 bucks off if you let me keep it. And Right. You're like you know. trying to work out a way that you can keep it, but then get that, get it to them. I totally get that. I'm curious, like you did it for, you know, 14 months at a time. Like, did you ever, what was your motivation for doing it for such long periods of time? Like, were you just really well, wanting not- to crush it? you know in terms of money uh, you said 14 shows in a year so 
Like yeah, that like November to April. So uh, okay, like okay. the winter the winter season in Florida. So it wasn't that bad. Okay, it okay. Was, uh, so it's yeah, compressed. What is that? Six six months, I guess, or five months. Um, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. So you're more like a teacher. Yeah. More like on like a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Only and in the winter. It was like, yeah, and then you know it was like you couldn't wait to get out of school, and then <laughs> for us like summer for me that's that's money to shoot in like right getting those good like and my photography's evolved a lot like i when i was younger it was all about chasing those dramatic skies and the everglades and now i i mean i don't know how many times i've like skipped out on a a sunset or whatever because i like Got, I'm in the woods. Like I'd rather get that understory shot and really get the right light, you know, like the last backlighting on something or whatever. Right. And you know, it's like there's there's nowhere to get to to see the skies, but but the shot I'm after or what satisfies me more is is that in the woods or on on a little creek, you know, shot over over the big sky and i guess that's just personal satisfaction because i i respect coming up with a composition in the woods a lot more than <laughs> right you know getting lucky that the sky cooperated on this shot you know i don't know i think uh, some of that is just a respect for um experience and you know i mean you've seen like a billion sunrises it's like <laughs> Or well, sunsets. sunsets. Yeah. Sunsets, right. Like seen... Yeah, you're not getting up early enough to do sunrises. I forgot you told me that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I, I mean it's I think there's you know something to be said. Like if you have experience uh, like you know, a decade of experience, you know, you're you know, you, you tend to change what your priorities are. It's and it's okay to miss a great, great sunset or sunrise, you know. It's like you're looking for something else that can round out your portfolio. Yeah. And that's something that I've really, you know, I don't even know what the point of it is necessarily like if there's an end game, but the way I approached the Everglades was, you know, going out three, like in the beginning, I was going out three nights a week. I mean, I had a part-time job. I had nothing else to do. And, um, I, you know, I was kind of following the clouds and because they'd they be kind of localized storms typically. So those kind of dictated where I might shoot, but I made an effort to try to comp like to cover the different habitats of the Everglades. Right. And in my head, that was like, you know, the dwarf cypress, which are just low nutrient areas. So you get these like kind of naturally bonsai trees. Um, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. They're I mean they're not like bristle cone like super interesting in that respect, but they're you know, it's it's cool. It's a it's an obvious habitat. Um and then of course the pine rocklands that we talked about, um the cypress domes which are the kind of depressions where there'd be a little more nutrient buildup and uh so the trees would get bigger and it'd create this real lush habitat. Like that's the typical swamp shot a lot of people would probably picture sure um sure. and then moving out to like the more marine habitats the mangroves and um and kind of the salt marsh areas so 
yeah, it was just like I'd, I'd really be introspective of my portfolio in those days of like, what am I missing? Like, oh, I need to get another killer, you know, sky over Dwarf Cypress or whatever. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and I kind of approached it the same way with Florida, but I also just kind of shotgunned it because I'm interested in it. So it's like, you know, yeah. What can I see new or what, you know? I think it's, I think it's, I don't know, this is going to sound super geeky, but <laughs> I think it's really cool to hear you talk about, um, cause I can hear the passion in your, in your voice about, um, you know, these, these habitats and these ecosystems and like your hyper interest in like photographing them and, and showing them to the world. I think, I think that's really cool. You know, uh, I think a lot of photographer landscape photographers, you know, I think a lot of times are driven by either, you know, pretty colors or, you know, great sunsets or great sunrises. And it's really awesome to hear someone really just talk about like, I really wanted to take a picture of this type of plant, you know, like, <laughs> that is, that's so cool. I think that's awesome. Wow, thanks. Yeah. And I mean, that's something like, and I don't want this to come off like, elitist or anything but i guess it's a little <laughs> bit of a dig at at other landscape photographers that don't enjoy or respect or know the habitat they're photographing um yeah you know it, it, and i mean there's florida photographers that like they're established and they're trying to you know they're like oh well like fish eating creek how do you like, what do you do to photograph Fish Eating Creek? There's no, like, boardwalk or anything. And I'm like, dude, you get in your canoe and you paddle one way or the other. And you get out and you put your tripod on the ground or in the water and you photograph. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you you have to get out in it. Like, it's... Yeah. And I mean... It's called it's, nature photography for a reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that, and that's the thing, I guess, because I'm like bridging different areas of, of photography. I'm kind of in different worlds between like, you know, my buddies in Nampa that are very conservation focused. Um, and I see that and that makes me feel guilty that I'm not doing enough. And, and that, you know, they're, they're working with NGOs and they're, they're making a difference and they're shooting stories and then I see like the art photographers that it's all about like what's going to sell at the art show, which, you know, it might be landscape and not purely nature. And then I see like the nature photographers that it's all about this grand scene. Like, and, you know, I think like 500 sure. PX was such a disservice because it just became such a popularity contest. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, it was hilarious. All the little squabbles back in the day, like all the, you know, the stuff that's coming out of probably jealousy, but like the, the Pacific Northwest crew that, that was always hilarious to stand back and just like get my bag of popcorn for, um, <laughs> cause you know, I'm down here in Miami, just like doing my own thing. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting about, uh, about 500 PX is, uh, I think kind of what you're talking about is um, for probably, I don't know, five to six years there, 
it really it really shaped kind of the direction that a lot of people took in terms of post processing and what people did, and it was just interesting to see. Uh, you know, it's almost like it's, it's almost like you follow trends in like decades, like people in the '80s with their crazy hair, or people in the yeah. '90s with their dress, like the way they dress, and you know, it's like I feel like photography does the same kind of things like people follow these huge trends and um the people that actually survive are people that kind of just stick to kind of their core and what interests them and what they're passionate about and they're not interested in jumping ship or following trends so i think it's interesting to hear you talk about talk about it that way well i mean it's uh, yeah it's funny because i mean there's definitely been a shift in the in the processing um you know, I, I probably think it was Mark Adamus that kind of started the trend of that um, style. And then, I mean, and I could be totally wrong, but like Ryan Dyer really kind of took it another step um, just with this, you know, really creating cool atmosphere to shots. And um, sure. And, you know, I love that stuff. And, and that's something again, like where I'm kind of torn sometimes in, cause like that stuff's beautiful. It's art like it. And, you know, I've seen the before and afters and some of them are really pushed more than what I do. But then <laughs> at the same time, like my, like I, I know I could improve my processing and I, I feel like I'm almost stuck sometimes cause it's what people might I have, I guess, a style maybe, and it's consistent. So it's what people expect, but, um, sure. You know, and, and I think, you know, personally, I think it translates well for print because that's the thing, like some of that stuff, like, and I'm not saying Ryan Dyer. I mean, I, I love that guy. Um, but some of that trend, like I, I call it like the Mordor look, you know, just really dark and, um, uh, just really highlighting the light in the highlights, like, you know, really creating depth. That's not going to sell for someone's wall. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Cause I, I remember back in the heyday of 500 PX, like everyone's kind of like motto, they would put this tagline at the end of their photos, like looks best in black. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Like, best viewed you know, on like, black. You could, Best feet on yeah. black. So like, cause, cause it made it to where like the highlights really popped out and the shadows weren't as dramatic. But, um, I think what's interesting is there are print mediums out there like, uh, you know, like backlit LCDs or whatever, or LEDs where you can actually, um, take images like that and you can make them look good in a dark environment. But to your point for, for your average, I mean, I don't think people like Ryan, I mean, he was on the podcast. I don't think Ryan's doing it to create prints for the wall. I think he's doing it because he wants no. to. Because, you know, he, he he's passionate about it. I think it looks great. And I think that's awesome. Uh, no, and that's, I mean, I've got huge respect for him. And, totally. And I'm not trying to bash that look because. No, but it's, it's interesting you know, our- how that trend really established itself in the, like, uh, you know, 20, I don't know, like, what do you think? 2012 to 2015, like. 2016 like that kind of period of time like that was if you went to 500px and you went to uh popular like 
every yeah. single person's photo was a landscape photo that was super dramatic and super processed and like and that was the other thing it was really hard to like it was really hard to pick out who took the photo yeah definitely um and i mean and and that's something you know like you know we you had that debate about how much processing you know replacing skies and all that like to me if you replace something in a photo it's not it's no longer a photo and i'm cool with that tell tell people that though that's digital art and you know i'm i'm an artist so i totally respect what you came up with i mean but that's too far for me um for because i am trying to represent to people you know florida and something that they could go see on their own and um you know it's interesting i think i feel like photography is one of the only art mediums that actually um cares about that you know like yeah authenticity because you and know like i think sculpture sculpture painting like they don't care about authenticity i feel like unless we're talking about like i don't know back in like back way back in the day like sculptures of people like they were very they were trying to be very representative of people's forms but it's interesting the landscape and nature photography kind of has this division between quote-unquote fine art which is what they called it on 500 px right like if you put it in landscapes you were a jerk but if you put it in fine art it was totally fine (laughs) you know but like I think it's interesting that photography as an art form, there's this division between uh, people that feel like, um, you know, replacing skies or, or manipulating the scene beyond what it actually looks like in real life to a certain degree, which is on this kind of like gray area scale. I feel like, you know, people feel like mm, at some point it crosses a line, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's like, yeah, like the one that's a gray area for me, like I haven't ever done it is like the focal point or, um, focal length blends. Oh, right. You sure. Know? Absolutely. Which I get it. <laughs> like a wide angle crushes a mountaintop, you know, like, <laughs> right. it's like you see it with your own eyes and it's awesome. And you put 11 millimeters on and, uh, it, that mountain peak sucks. And, and I don't really have to worry about that with the scenes I'm photographing, like I feel like for the most part, I'm photographing a much smaller scale, a more intimate shot. Um, so I don't have to deal with that. So I'm never really in that position to push what I think is right or not. Right. Um, but I mean, you know, from the outside, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. That's it, you know, like, I think we all probably have done that, probably a focal length blend with a moon, though, because <laughs> that's the same thing. Like, it is the 11, the 11 millimeter shot. The moon is a star. And it's like, oh, that sucks. I, I, yeah, that's not you know, that's not representative of my experience. Yeah. So it's like for me with a moon, I guess this is the farthest I go is like I try to drop the moon in at about 50 to 75 millimeters which i think's about what the eye which is, sees in that yeah i was gonna say like 58 millimeters i think what the eye okay. sees there you go that's what i've heard yeah so you know i just try to do that to get it back to what i en- envisioned or whatever but 
Oh yeah, what you experienced, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting debate. You know, like what what I what did you actually experience versus what is this fantasy world that you want to well, present? I mean, and I don't think there's 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 nothing wrong with either approach. I think it's it's just an interesting uh, way to think about how you present yourself and how you present your you work. You could do mushrooms when you're photographing, and then have leeway to you know process however you want <laughs> i guess that's true like and especially if you live in denver that's like legal now so oh really yeah it's totally legal so wow you should go for it paul <laughs> yeah i'm around too many alligators to do something like that <laughs> all right dude well um i guess winding down um who do you think uh, would be uh, some guests that would be interesting for our podcast listeners to hear? Um, yeah, so I got two, I guess. Um, the first is a good buddy and just someone really inspiring to me um, on the conservation front, uh, Clay Bolt. Yeah. Um, not a not a landscape guy, but man he's he's been just grinding out some awesome stuff with uh you know first with meet your neighbors really just got me reinvigorated with photography at a time um i i joined in on that project and then he's really been focusing on bees and uh really yeah, that's awesome yeah he was instrumental in getting the Rusty Patch Bumblebee listed as an endangered species. First first uh, bumblebee listed, so or first That's native cool. bee. So yeah, big inspiration for me, and I think he's got some really cool stuff to talk about. And uh and I think another one, like just because like I was saying, I feel like I've kind of I am a bridge of like this new generation of photographers and and then like I got started right when that past generation of guys that were doing it for 20 years were really, you know, at their peak. And, um, so that, uh, Jerry Greer, um, who I met Clay Bolt through, um, on a workshop, I mean, it just kind of tagged along with in the Smokies, but Jerry's been in, uh, done a lot with conservation in, in the Appalachian mountains and, he works with a lot with uh, publishing, so that could be interesting to talk about. And yeah, yeah after a multi-year hiatus, he's back in photography, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's uh, while we were talking, I actually uh, sent a tweet to Paul uh, to Jerry Greer, and he said, "Tell Paul hello from Tennessee." <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he uh, he's a character, man. He, I gotta try to get up there. I, I'm, I'm in a wedding in Asheville in October, so it'll be perfect to catch some fall color up there. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, man. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us about your awesome adventures in Florida. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an honor. Um, not many people ask me to do this kind of stuff so <laughs> <laughs> right on oh well thanks to paul for taking the time out of his busy schedule to join us on the show and for his awesome conversation hopefully someday we can meet up and share one of those strong belgian beers 
Well, if you enjoyed our conversation, head on over to Patreon, where Paul and I talk all about how he names his photos. It was quite funny. Well, speaking of Patreon, this is my absolute favorite part of the podcast. I absolutely love thanking our sponsors and patrons. You guys are what keeps me going. So thanks to our two newest patrons, Jared Parker and Melissa Orr. I appreciate you both. I'd also like to give a special thanks to the people we like to call our Patreon podcast producers. Thanks to Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, David Kingham, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bacavoy, hey James, thanks for the, those socks, <laughs> Matthias of Photomagica, Richard Wong, Zachary Smith, Gary Randall, Frank Otto Peterson, and Michael Rung. I really appreciate you all so very much. Additionally, I want to make sure you guys know that patrons of the podcast are encouraged to participate in our themed photo contests by submitting them to the community board over on our Patreon page. The current theme, which ends August 30th, is Nemesis. I know we all have our own photo nemesis, whether it be a scene we have shot a thousand times and never had good light, or something like that. So let's see those awesome shots over on the community board. Okay, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. Well, I was able to sit down in person in Bozeman, Montana with Travis Anderson. He runs a small print lab there and does some awesome panorama ski photography. It was really cool to talk to him in his shop. I've also reached out to about 20 photographers this week, and I'm hoping to hear back from, from you guys. So please reach out if, I, if, you're, if you're listening. So far, I'm really excited that I was able to book Alistair Ben, and I'm really stoked for that one. If you have connections with other photographers that might be interested in being on the show, feel free to send us an email to introduce us. Hit me up at matt at mattpainphotography.com. Cheers, everyone. Okay, lastly, I'm super excited to announce that we finally reached our goal of $1,000 a month on Patreon a few weeks back. Even though we've already dropped below that threshold again, I have been working hard behind the scenes to develop some criteria and infrastructure to give away $1,000 to a nominated photographer who exemplifies values of conservation through their work. We're also going to be asking for sponsorships from brands or other photographers to help make that award more than $1,000, so keep your eyes open for that. All right, well, thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.